This week on the RV Podcast. RV Towing Basics. Expert advice on doing it right. RV Social Media Buzz. How to decorate the outside of your RV. RV News. Bison and bear attacks. And more hikers have died from excessive heat. Your RV questions, tips, and much more coming up on episode 357 of the RV Podcast. Hello everybody, I am Mike Wendland and this is my lifelong traveling companion and my bride, Jennifer. Hello my dear. Hello my Michael and our Bo has got our back. He does. Bo is with us here in the, uh, I don't know if I can get a quick shot of Bo. He's over that way. Oh, usually he's right behind us. He yeah. relocated a Maybe little. I can show him. He's right over there. <laughs> <laughs> he's over there. Bo is someplace there. Uh, he's always got our backs. That's our thing about it all. Hey, a couple quick announcements. You can watch the video version of the RV Lifestyle Podcast. Every week it is on our RV Lifestyle YouTube channel. And uh, you can see it there. And if you prefer an audio-only uh, podcast, of course, you can hear us through your very favorite podcast app. Or you can listen through uh, a player directly at rvlifestyle.com under our podcast tab. Uh, lots of ways to listen, lots of ways to watch it, and uh, we pray that you would uh, subscribe to our RV Lifestyle Podcast. We appreciate all those subscriptions. Say, a couple of weeks ago, we asked everybody if there was interest in doing a guided caravan-type tour of the Canadian Maritimes. And we've never done such a thing, but we had this woman on the program from Fantasy RV Tours a mm -hmm. couple of weeks ago. And it just sounded like a good idea. Yeah, we've, you know, if we've never thought about it. You know, we thought it'd be more structured and you wouldn't, it was just because we like to experiment, but it's not at all. But it is, it is kind of like almost all inclusive and um, camp, all the reservations and all the planning is made for you and you can kind of still go off and explore on your own. It's a 27 day guided drive and we said, well, we'll, we'll see if we can come up with this. And um, lo and behold, there's enough interest to do it, so it is a go. And the dates for this, you want to share the dates? It's from July 22nd to August 17th of 2024. Now, it's really going to take a little longer than that because you got to get there. It starts in Bar Harbor, Maine, right up in northern Maine. And then it goes into the Maritimes, and then it ends on, in Prince Edward Island. So that's after 27 days. So you still got to get back home to wherever you are. But... Uh, the guided part is 27 days, and um, we want to point out we are not running this. We're just guests, just like you. Uh, it's all being run by Fantasy RV Tours. They are um, industry giants in this, so much experience. There will be a, a professional guide along the way with us, and uh, um, it's, it's great. You can find out all the details if you go to rvlifestyle.com slash maritimes. Takes you right to their special sign-up page, and you can look and get all the info you need. RVLifestyle.com slash Maritimes. It's been on our bucket list for a long time to just check out the Maritimes, and doing it now with a bunch of friends is even going to be more fun. And I think this is good because it's limited to 25. Yes, 25 rigs. Rigs. Yeah, and, and judging by just the past couple of days since we made it official, it, I think they'll sell this out pretty quick. Um, and we'll see how it goes. We like this kind of travel. Maybe we'll do some more of them uh, during the year. Let us know what you think. 
by the way, we love your ideas about anything. So send us your ideas, your suggestions, your questions. Our email address is Mike and Jen at RVLifestyle.com. And we got another big announcement. We want to celebrate um, the growth of our RV Lifestyle Facebook group. 202,000 people. Oh, can you wow. imagine? 202,000 people. It has truly become uh, the go-to resource 24-7 for those who have RV questions. They get great advice, great tips, and help from people. Um, we want to thank uh, all of you who are members, and then particularly our team of moderators who keep everything positive and, and helpful. Um, one of our key moderators is uh, Wendy Boyer, and Wendy does every week for us a RV Lifestyle social media buzz. And she's got some um, some some uh, the key highlights that were in social media this week about the RV lifestyle. Hi, everybody. One of the things I love about our RV Lifestyle Facebook group are all the people willing to share those little tips that make RV life better and sometimes safer. And one such tip was shared last week by Christy. Now, Christy has an RV like so many of us with those metal steps that go up and there's this empty space behind it. And she was worried about her foot slipping through and, you know, hurting herself. And so her husband fixed that for her. He got some diamond plate sheet metal. He formed it to the back of those stairs, put some, you know, rust-free screws to attach it in place. And then she took a picture and she shared it with the group. And it was so interesting. And Many people said that they had had the same concerns um, and really appreciated it. In fact, one member named Red, he said his girlfriend actually broke her foot when it slipped through that space before. So it was a, one of those great tips um, that was really interesting and helpful to see. And next, I'd like to share with you another topic, which is the outside of our rigs. Have you ever heard that expression, small house, big yard? Well, that's what I was thinking of last week when I read a message from Melissa. Melissa is new to camping and she asked the group for some pictures and some tips on how to set up the outside of her rig. And boy, did she ever get a lot of responses. Um, some were like from Susan who had a picture of a canopy. It was over her picnic table. And she also had a rug, one of those outdoor rugs with some chairs on it. It was very inviting. Um, Brenda, she caught my eye. She had a fan outside, which is, you know, really helpful to keep the mosquitoes sometimes away. And she also had an American flag and some chairs, and it was very nice looking. And then um, Sherry, well, she her campsite, she had a screened-in tent. She had a rug outside that her dog was laying on, grilled chairs. It was just so interesting to see how everybody set their space up. And we had everything from the very simple outdoor rug that's it to the super deluxe we're talking you know screened in tent light fan chairs flags um grills all types of things so fun post and uh, lots of ideas there and then the last thing i'd like to leave you with is a post from donna donna and her husband are camping in one of those drop dead places that it's uh fun to dream about and so she snapped some pictures and she shared them with the group and wow, was it ever beautiful. She is at the Ghost Mountain Ranch RV Resort in Pollock Pines in the Tahoe area over in California. And it was so pretty. We're talking just the water, the mountains, the giant trees, and it looked like her campsite was very spacious. 
uh, one of those places that's fun to dream of uh, visiting. And that's it for me this week. I'm Wendy Boyer, and I'll see you next time on the RV Lifestyle Facebook group. You know, it's so nice to see all those pictures and everything. And when you're new to RVing, to have a place where you can go and you can say, how do I do this? Something as simple as decorating the outside of your rig, be it a chair or a rug or something very elaborate with the works. Yeah, it's fun to watch everybody share. All right, it's time now for the RV recipe of the week. And you know we have a sister blog called CampingFoodRecipes.com. Love this blog. So many ideas. One of the biggest challenges for so many people when you go camping is what do you eat? What do you have to bring? What are some, besides hot dogs and hamburgers, what else can you have? And uh, this is a great resource for you to plan your meals while you're on a camping trip. The editor is uh, Jerrica Ma, and she is a regular now on the podcast. And uh, she's got uh, three recipes that she wants to talk about today uh, that are near and dear to my heart because I like grilled cheese sandwiches. Here's Jerrica. Hey camping foodies, Jerrica here with CampingFoodRecipes.com and my question for you today is if you own a pie iron, if you don't carry a pie iron in your RV I think you should remedy that because it is one of those campfire tool accessories that everyone should take on their camping trip because it gives you so many different options to cook so many delicious meals over the campfire. Um, and that includes grilled cheese sandwiches. And I have to tell you, we went on a bit of a grilled cheese sandwich kick over at Camping Food Recipes this week um, because, I mean, who can go wrong with grilled cheese sandwiches? But of course, we don't want to just give you your basic cheese and bread. You know, we have to elevate it, right? Because this is CampingFoodRecipes.com. So we have three different grilled cheese recipes that we just uploaded. Um, and what's special about these and what we are really intentional about with these is to use overlapping ingredients with each sandwich. That way you can buy the same ingredients um, but enjoy a unique grilled cheese sandwich every day. So um, the three that we decided on were grilled cheese and tomato, grilled cheese and ham, and grilled cheese with caramelized apples. So you have a really nice range. Each day, just a little tweak to the ingredient list to give you a really nice, tasty, unique lunch. So be sure to check those out. It's a great, well-rounded way to fill in your camping menu. Um, and then while you're there, be sure to check out all the other recipes. We're adding more and more every week. And don't forget to submit your own favorite camping food recipe so we can share it with our RV community so they can enjoy what you love to enjoy whenever you camp. So thank you for joining me today, and I will be back next week with another favorite camping food recipe. Jerrica is a foodie. <laughs> she does a great job. And I love the fact that our people who read those posts at CampingFoodRecipes.com can then offer their recipes and share them with everybody, too. So well, a great I, resource. I know how much you like your grilled cheese. And uh, I'm just used to ham, If I'm <laughs> maybe a couple different kinds of cheese. But it's fun to have different ideas. And I know a lot of you out there have got ideas that you can contribute that will make it even better. And we got to get one of those things that she was yeah, talking about. Yeah, we've got to get one of those pie irons. We pie used to irons. have one. I don't know where it is, though. Might yeah, have to get another be, one. Yeah. So um, we'll pick one. That, and we'll find a link to it. I think there is a link at CampingFoodRecipes.com. So... Um, well, well, I'm going to go order one, and, uh, and we'll get one. <laughs> I don't doubt that for a minute. All right. Um, all right. When we come back, we're going to do the interview of the week. And it's the first time we've done a two-part interview, one part this week, one part next. But 
if we had to categorize all the questions we get, one of the topics that there is so much confusion on and so much fear, particularly for new RVers, is about towing an RV. Uh, and uh, w when we really break that down, there's questions about towing an RV and then using an RV to tow a car or something like a trailer behind you. So we have a great expert. Uh, his name is Gary Sippa, and he is going to join us. And uh, you will uh, be amazed at his expertise. And he's going to tell us how to do it right, how to tow an RV the right way. Stay with us. The one thing that can ruin a perfect RV trip is a bad mattress. And believe us, we know. Over the years, we've tried many and found them all wanting until now. Now, we sleep on the RV mattress by Brooklyn Bedding. Quite simply, it's the best we've ever slept on. We chose a queen-sized Aurora Lux medium firm mattress that arrived tightly rolled in a box. All we had to do is put it on the bed, unroll it, and wait for it to recover from the compression. Then we put the sheets and the bed covers on, and we found we slept so well on it that we ordered another one for our home. That's how comfortable it is. Our sleep is now so luxurious and deep that we can't imagine using a different mattress. Shipping is free, and if you're disappointed with the current mattress in your RV, you owe it to yourselves to try the RV mattress by Brooklyn Bedding. Brooklyn Bedding sends out all of their RV mattresses from their own factory in Arizona. That means they're able to use premium materials at a reasonable price for you with no middleman bringing up the cost. And right now, if you visit rvmattress.com slash rvlifestyle, you'll get the maximum discount off your mattress with the promo code rvlifestyle. Again, use the promo code rvlifestyle for a big discount on your RV mattress by Brooklyn Bedding. We're sure you'll be as thrilled with your RV mattress by Brooklyn Bedding as we are with ours. It really is the most comfortable mattress we've ever slept on. Boy, that one topic that's asked all the time has to do with towing. Yep, people want to know how much can my truck pull? Uh, what do I need uh, to have in terms of a hitch? Uh, others want to bring along a toad. And I wondered at first, what is a toad? It took me a little while to figure out that that was a car. But so many people out there, you, you want to take that car. Yeah, uh, and, and then you have the question of how do I tow it? Flat, all four wheels down, a flat tow, uh, two wheels down, uh, uh, a trailer. Uh, well, Gary Sippa is a guy who teaches a course called um, RV Basics for the Family Motorcomb Association, the FMCA. And uh, he does that at their two big gatherings in the summer and in the fall. It's a two-and-a-half-day intensive course. And it's, um, it's just so well thought of and well reviewed by those who've taken it. And we were able to, uh, to sit down with Gary and uh, to do an interview that is going to last this week and next week. This week, we're going to talk about towing an RV behind our truck or some sort of a tow vehicle. There's a lot more than just hooking up and going. Here's Gary Sippa. Well, let's start off with the, the typical RV owner. Do you think that they, uh, the typical, you know, do they have a good understanding about what's necessary, uh, the knowledge they need about towing when, when maybe they pull out of that dealer's lot with that trailer or fifth wheel behind them for the first time? No, Mike, when, uh, when a 
RV or pulls out with uh, their first trailer or even a new trailer, uh, the, the dealer's prime uh, goal is to sell an RV. They're just trying to get the thing off the lot, which you can understand. That's, uh, that's their money. Uh, unfortunately, there are so many variables in towing that most people pull off the lot and have no idea as to whether or not the tow vehicle and the uh, trailer are even well matched. How do they find that out? <laughs> you know, they, they'll ask the dealer, I've been there, and they'll say, well, can I tow that thing? Of course you can tow that thing. And they never get into things like, you know, maximum weight, tongue weight, uh, uh, all those numbers that are on the side of the RV or the truck that says what it can do. Uh, help us get an idea. How do we know that my vehicle can handle that in the first place? Well, the first thing you have to do is look at the exact specifications of each part of the equation, the tow vehicle and the trailer. With the tow vehicle, there should be a specifications page in the manual that will tell you specifically what that vehicle is capable of doing. Now, that specifications page is generally divided into different models of the vehicle. What we also have to understand when you're looking at a gross vehicle weight, uh, you may be adding a lot of things to that vehicle. I've seen many people... For instance, uh, a Jeep Wrangler trying to pull a trailer, but that Jeep Wrangler always, already has oversized wheels on it, a big bumper on the front, a big bumper on the back, and he's already uh, increased his weight of the vehicle much more than what the curb weight is. The second thing that you really have to look at, and I know you've had other uh, podcasts regarding tires, but tires are really the limiting factor. Uh, your axles, your tires, the weight carrying uh, characteristics are all uh, hyper important. That's the only thing between you and the road surface. So you have to make sure that your tires are capable of carrying the loads. Now you look at the trailer. The trailer has a sticker on it. It's usually a yellow sticker usually on a door jam, and it will give you the specifications of that trailer as it left the factory. Now, that specification should be with a full tank of propane, or in the case of a motorized vehicle, the uh, including a fuel ga full gas tank, but it uh, does not include things like water, gray water, black water, uh, or the water that's in the water heater. And when you look at water being eight and a half pounds roughly per gallon, if you have a 10 pound or a 10 gallon water heater, right off the bat, that's 83, 85 gallon or pounds that you're adding to the tow vehicle, towed vehicle uh, before you even put people or anything else into it. People don't realize what the weight of things like clothing, toiletries, food, uh, all way up to be. So it's very easy to overload a trailer as it is a towing vehicle. So you do count the two, uh, if, you, if you're in a, if you're towing a trailer, um, hopefully there's nobody inside the trailer. Correct. Uh, right. So 
your water. Uh, one place to notice how much water, you it's probably not a wise move just to travel with a full tank of, of uh, fresh water, I would assume. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to if you're going to be boondocking, but in general, uh, what do you recommend about water? Well, what I usually do is keep about uh, five gallons of water in my RV. And that's just mainly for uh, a quick hand wash or primarily for toilet flushing. If I'm going to be boondocking, I'm going to travel with that minimal amount of water in the fresh water tank until I get to really the last place that I can fill up with water. Uh, I don't want to be going all the way from home out to uh, the middle of the desert and carrying a full 50 or 60 gallon water tank. Uh, that's a lot now, of weight. It is. And uh, I know so many people do that and they say, well, I need to get that water. But that, that's that's just really good advice. The second thing uh, is how much clothing and food weighs. Uh, would people be surprised to, to know that? Because they bring in a couple of bags and they put some milk in the fridge and a six pack of beer, whatever they're taking with them. How much does all that add up? Lots. Much more than you think. Uh, I suggest to new RVers that one of the first things that you do is you go take three or four days worth of clothes out of your closet, laying on the bed, take your spouse's clothes, lay them on top of that, and then pick it up. You're going to be surprised at how much that weighs and how much that's adding to the uh, cargo weight of the trailer itself. Now, Gary, there's different weights on those stickers. There's the uh, maximum cargo weight. There's the there's something like uh, the, the the tow weight. Explain as best you can, and it's hard for us to do this, you know, both verbally and and audibly. But help them understand what all these these different weights that are on that little yellow sticker mean. First of all, every vehicle has what's called a gross vehicle weight rating. That is the maximum total weight that that vehicle, be it a trailer or a towing vehicle, can uh, maintain or carry in its fully loaded condition. Once again, one of the biggest uh, factors there is looking at the tires and the weight rating on the tires. Where do you find that, that weight rating on the tires? It is written right on the tires. Every tire has a, a maximum weight rating at a specified tire pressure. So whether it's now, your tow or towed vehicle, you're going to see that on the tire. Okay, here's a simple question, but it, it's, and it's probably a simple answer. But they see a ratings for that. Is that for each tire, or does each tire, if you have four tires on a on a RV, does that divide that into that, or is you know my question? Am I, am I making well, that, that clear? That can be a very complex question because, uh, well, let's look at a just a recreational vehicle trailer. The trailer usually has two axles, and that tire rating is for one tire on the axle. So you would multiply that by two to get the weight rating for the axle. And then you would multiply that number by two 
if you have two axles on the trailer. So as a result, you would multiply the tire rating by four. Again, it's all always important to keep like tires at least on the same axle. Got it. Uh, now there's the gross vehicle weight uh, of the vehicle that you're towing. Um, let's talk a little bit about the vehicle that is used to tow that thing. How do we know what my truck or my vehicle can, can tow? Um, hypothetically, if a van or a truck can pull, say, 6,000 pounds, and the trailer has a gross vehicle weight of, say, 5,500 pounds, uh, am I good to go? Uh, where do we look at that? Uh, Every vehicle has, a again, a maximum load weight. It also has a maximum uh, towing weight. When we're looking at something, let's say, for instance, a pickup truck, uh, a Ford F-150 probably ranges anywhere from 6,000 maximum to a 11,000 or 11.5 maximum towing capacity. Depending on the model. Depending on the model. Yeah, you add yeah. more doors to it. You add a tow haul package to it. You start adding some of the fancy tailgates to it. And very quickly, you're loading that vehicle closer and closer to its maximum capacity. The other thing you always have to remember, the RV industry generally looks at the weight of one person as 157 pounds. <laughs> Good you, luck with that. <laughs> you can see from looking at me that uh, I'm over 157 pounds. So yeah. uh, we have to also consider the weight of the the passengers, plus the laptop computers and the purses and the suitcases and uh, the coolers, everything else you're going to throw into it. Now, the and the dog. Thing, Don't forget the dog. <laughs> yeah, the dog. And, and six kids. And now, six, yeah. <laughs> that's what people often overlook. And before they leave home, they're already overloaded on the vehicle. You also have to look at the weight of the hitch that is on the back of the tow vehicle. So again, let's look at this 150. We put a tow hitch on the back of it, a simple ball uh, on a uh, uh, receiver is maybe five pounds. However, if you put a heavy trailer hitch on a class five hitch, then what you're run running into is maybe adding a hundred pounds right there on the, the hitch. Now, what's also very, very important is linking the two, the towing vehicle to the towed vehicle. And it is very, very important to look at what the options are with that type of a hitch. Usually you want to look at a load uh, distributing or a weight distributing hitch. And what that will do just if I may, uh, can you see this? I, I don't know if you can or not. Yep. Okay, yep. here's our tow vehicle and here's our trailer. And as soon as I put tongue weight on the back of that trailer, or in the front of the trailer, it loads the back of that tow vehicle. 
Now, one of the things that that does is that also brings your steering wheels up off the ground. So now Actually, you're a little bit too far to your right. You move it a little more to the left. There we go. Now we can so For those of you watching on the YouTube video, you see it? Yep. Okay. So your wheels come off the ground on the front. It's very hard to steer that kind of a situation. A weight distributing hitch will allow you to maintain the angle that all of the axles are equal and level. And that is very important. Now I'm distributing the weight on both the front and the rear axles of the towing vehicle. And something else that's very important, I've got two axles on this trailer. If I can't that in an angle, I'm putting most of the weight on one of the two axles. Therefore, I may have actually overloaded that single axle and underloaded the other axle. So that connection between the two is extremely important. Does it help to have airbags on the truck? Does that have any effect on it? Airbags do nothing to increase the weight capacity. They will keep you often from bottoming out. They may allow you to adjust your attitude a little bit. Say, for instance, coming out of a driveway, coming down your driveway from your house when you're leaving, you might put a little more air into it. Um, airbags you have to be careful of because if you get them too heavily inflated, it could actually affect your ride and make it a bumpier, heavier ride. Um, in fact, I've noticed that I have airbags on mine, and uh, I found that it, it didn't improve it. Uh, and, and the unit I was pulling wasn't that heavy that I really needed it. It was pretty straight. Um, we're talking about a lot of different things here, and I, I want to get, what about anti-sway bars? That's another piece of weight that you want to put if you're towing a trailer. Uh, that you've got to cal calculate for that weight, too, I would think, you know? Yes, yes. Uh, and with a uh, weight distributing hitch, generally there is an anti-sway mechanism involved in it. Either something to dampen the sway if it should start, or something that keeps the sway from occurring from a dead straight-ahead pull. Now you also have uh, can put various mechanisms on the axles of the vehicles that uh, keep it the, the tow vehicle from swaying. Uh, again, the bigger you go, the more weight it adds. Now, I'm not selling any products here, but one of the things that I have had extremely good success with is something called sumo springs. Mm -hmm. Basically, the sumo spring is like a pre-inflated airbag. Uh, it does not need adjustment. It's uh, very compact, uh, flexible material that goes between the axle and the frame. It really helps with keeping the tow vehicle on the road and moving straight ahead, especially when you're going around corners. Now, I, I want to ask you uh, about weighing all this stuff since we've been talking about weight. For the average person, how do they find out what their truck can safely tow. And now we know how to find out the maximum value. It's on that sticker about how what its maximum weight is. It's car, what, the cargo carrying capacity, is that what it's yes. called? Uh, but how do we know that that truck, 
that they have that is going to be able to pull it? Do, do they have to go to the manufacturer? Where do they find that out? Every vehicle has a trailer towing capacity. You will find it in the manual for that vehicle. And some of them may require additional equipment to meet a specific towing uh, capacity, such as a transmission oil cooler. So if you buy a, uh, again, going back to a Ford, uh, you buy a Ford with a uh, max tow package, you're going to get a little more uh, heft in the transmission cooling and probably a little bigger alternator to run some charge wires back to the trailer. Um, but the vehicle itself will have a specification from the factory. And that's in the manual, or I suppose you could go to the, and we'll put website links and stuff in this video. Um, last question on this topic before we run out of time for this segment uh, is, uh, where do we weigh it? I mean, how do we know how heavy it is? After we've got them all loaded up, uh, we figured it out, you know, we think we've, we've, we've done well, but we don't. You know, there's only a couple thousand pounds that you can mess with, it looks like, from most of the ones I've seen. How do I know I'm not over? Well, easy or the best thing to do is essentially weigh every single tire position individually. You can generally do that at any of the larger national or regional RV rallies or meetings, conventions. There's generally someone there who can weigh by wheel position. What I recommend to people is go find a grain company, a concrete company, um, a uh, metal uh, scrapper, scrapyard, and ask them if you can use their scales. And what, to, what I recommend is pulling on the scales one axle at a time. So you'll know what the first axle of your tow vehicle would be. Then you know what both axles are, so you can subtract your front axle and you'll get your rear axle weight. Then you continue to move on and you do the same thing with your trailer. So you'll know what each axle weighs. And that tells you how your load is distributed, how you may want to redistribute. Now, what about these cat scales that I see uh, along uh, in big truck stops along interstates technically usually. Are those helpful at all? Absolutely. You can use those, but bear in mind, you're probably going to get charged for a way ticket. Whereas if you go to any of the local yards, generally I find that uh, they will gladly allow you to pull in between the vehicles they're weighing. It's the same type of scale. It's a certified scale, but they'll tell you, or you can actually see right on the side of the, uh, the scale, what the weight is of each axle. That's for your own edification. Certainly, they're not going to give you a ticket unless they charge you for it. And when I say a ticket, just a, uh, a certified scale reading. But right. in every, every, yeah. Yeah, every neighborhood, you can find a place to get weighed. Okay. We, we, we have just started, and I'm wondering if we can continue this conversation in our next podcast next week. We, can you come back for that one? Absolutely. Be happy to. All right, and we'll and we'll try and talk then about uh, towing a motor or a, about a motorhome and and 
same issues there about weight and whether that motorhome can tow something. So uh, we'll put links to uh, all the different resources that we can find that Gary has been talking about. And uh, Gary, uh, we'll have you back next week and we'll have part two of this conversation. Great talking to you, Mike. Thanks. Oh, Gary had so much valuable information for us. He did. And uh, more next week about toads. Took us a long time when we first said, well, people bring in toads? What is a toad? Well, think of it. A, a vehicle hooked up behind an RV is towed, right? T-O-W-E-D. So it's natural that somebody's going to call that RV that's being towed a toad. <laughs> T-O-A-D. I don't know. People are crazy, right, with what they call stuff. But anyway, next week he'll talk about that. And uh, we'll be right back after this with the RV News. Of the week. When we're on a road trip, we always seem to find a way to stop at a Camping World Center. There are over 225 Camping World locations across the country, and there's always one close by when we need parts and accessories for our RV or just want to shop. In fact, uh, we have so much fun with uh, Camping World, and as we talk about it as one of our sponsors, they have agreed to offer a 10% discount if you use the coupon code RVLIFESTYLE10 when you buy $99 or more in merchandise. You'll find everything you want from outdoor furniture and appliances, the ones you see us use in our videos and we talk about here in the podcast. RV extras that include everything from camping chairs to fire pits, electrical accessories, must-have gadgets. Check them all out. And again, don't forget, use the coupon code RVLIFESTYLE10 when you visit CampingWorld.com. Welcome back. It's time now for the RV News of the Week. And uh, we've been reporting all, all summer now about, and even had an interview with a ranger at Yellowstone about the problems with tourists, about uh, the unpredictability of animals, and more stories this week about it. Our first story, a 47-year-old woman was seriously injured at Yellowstone National Park last week after being gored by a bison. The woman was injured in her chest and abdomen while on the north shore of, Ye of Lake Yellowstone. It was not clear how close she was to the animal. Also last week, a different woman was severely injured by a bison at Theodore Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota. Exact details of that case is not clear. Okay guys, it's mating season for bison and remain so until mid-August, making the animals even more unpredictable than normal. Yellowstone requires visitors stay at least 25 feet from bison, though many people regularly break this guideline to take pictures. And then, like you said, we interviewed a Yellowstone uh, park ranger to talk about this and other safety issues, so people can watch that interview yeah we'll put a link to the show notes at this episode you can find them at rvlifestyle.com uh slash podcast or just click the podcast tab at rvlifestyle.com um i saw an interview with this woman who got gored at uh at uh, yellowstone and it was it was quite a story involved she and her boyfriend were on their way to the lake and uh, they had seen some elk and Following the advice of, of officials at Yellowstone, they waited until those elk had gone away, and then they walked on, and as they were walking, uh, this bison came on the boardwalk, and uh, that's when it just charged at her, and there wasn't much she could do. Uh, but the backstory to that is uh, this was a very special trip for her and her boyfriend because he was going to propose to her uh, at Yellowstone, and so instead he had to propose to her at the hospital. She said yes, by the way. 
Uh, so that was, uh, that was quite a story. But again, just be careful. Uh, Walt Disney has made us all think that these little animals are all cute and cuddly. They may be cute, but believe me, they ain't cuddly. Don't Keep your distance as best you can from these animals. All right, there was some news out of Glacier National Park involving wildlife, and this had to do with a grizzly bear that had to be euthanized because it was um, food acclimated, and it was associating people with food. It was a five-year-old grizzly um, that uh, uh, was very aggressive around people because it had been successfully raiding campers' food stashes at campgrounds and from their RVs. Uh, it was a female bear, and she successfully took food off of a picnic table at Mini Glacier Campground in late June. Um, officials had to close that campground. They ended up hazing the bear to get her away. And if you've never seen that, they basically they make a lot of noise and they shoot little uh, uh, little pockets of like bean bags at the bears, and then they make noises around them. So they hazed it twice, and it and it went away. Um, and they thought it was all gone, but then last week it showed up at the Swift Current Lake Boat Launch, uh, which is right near that campground. And there it charged, literally charged a family. They were having a picnic there, and the animal uh, was able to get some of their cold beverages. Uh, it was very aggressive, and um, so officials had to get it. And because once they've been acclimated to food, they become uh, particularly dangerous, and they had to put it down. And it's a sad story. Good reminder, keep your food in bear-safe containers when you're in bear country uh, and take other precautions. You know, we led a little hike from that uh, boat launch towards the Many Glaciers campground a few years ago. And we had, fortunately, I remember we lived, anybody got bear spray? And they did. And we were literally five minutes down that path and there we saw two moose and uh, very close to us and then a bear. And the bear... Uh, we were able to haze it away, but you know, you, they're all over. That's their country. And speaking of bears, there was a, a terrible story out of West Yellowstone involving a, a woman whose body was found in the Gallatin National Forest. West Yellowstone is a little town that abuts the west entrance of Yellowstone National Park. And uh, the, the forest comes right up to there. And uh, she was apparently a hiker and uh, she had been uh, mauled by uh, what officials say is a bear. There's, as we report this, they're searching for the bear now. So be careful out there. A 14-year-old girl spent the night lost and alone at Zion National Park last week before being found by the rescuers and reunited with her family. The girl and her family were walking the narrows when they broke into two groups, a faster and a slower group. The girl decided later to try to catch up with a faster group. But when she took off alone, she got lost. The Narrows goes through a narrow section of Zion Canyon, and at times travelers need to wade through the Virgin River. Rescuers found the girl without shoes in uh, the morning. She had slept with bugs and in mud, and her food had soiled from the river. Otherwise, she was okay. And the story is a good reminder for all not to separate from a group when hiking. Now we've hiked that narrows and uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful hike just such a spectacular place but man stay together stay together uh when you're hiking no matter uh, what how far you think you're going to go it can be very confusing and if you 
find yourself in a situation like Mike and I, where we had a dog and we both couldn't hike together, go and hook up with other people. Walk with them. Ask if it's okay. You're not stalking them, but you don't want to be alone. Yeah. Walk uh, with other people. Always, uh, you want to be, as if you can, and uh, you don't want to hike alone in a national park uh, like Glacier or Yellowstone or Yosemite where you're in bear country, you know. Um, this is another sad story uh, that involves uh, one of our national parks. This is at Death Valley National Park where a 71-year-old hiker, um, presumed hiker, was found dead uh, right outside uh, the... Um, restroom at the Golden Canyon there at uh, Death Valley. Officials believe it was a heat-related uh, death. They think he had either been hiking and had gone to the restroom after a short hike. The temperature that day was 121 degrees. And in fact, it was probably hotter there because he was down in sort of a little canyon area and it radiates the sun's heat even more. Uh, we did a story last week about people flocking to Death Valley because of this heat wave and having selfies taken with the thermometer showing how hot it was and it just what's the matter with people uh, so that's the second death at Death Valley and I read somewhere that there were dozens of heat related deaths throughout the west and the southwest not all hikers but uh, because of that excessive heat so um, sad thing about the 71 year old is they were going to send a range of a, a helicopter to rescue him but it was so hot that the helicopter could not fly and while they tried to help them, they were unsuccessful. So just use common sense when, when it's this hot. You can come back at a different time. Don't ever hike past 9 a.m. in Death Valley in the summertime. All right, then one more weather-related story. Flooding in Vermont that we told you about last week completely washed away a bridge connecting the Onion River campground to a nearby highway, stranding those in about 28 campsites. The campers had no electricity, no water, and no way out. Many turned to generators and their RV toilets to get by. As the water receded, a back road was formed and eventually everyone was able to leave using it. And meanwhile, as the campground owner rebuilds, residents in the area who lost their homes to the flooding are temporarily moving in. Flooding is one thing, one thing people may not think while camping, but it happens. And to see a story that we put out about uh, five campground dangers. Yeah, we'll put a link. We'll uh, put a link and you can yep. be aware of things that you don't always think about. And the link, and you can find all this in like our show notes, rvlifestyle.com slash podcasts. Or just look on rvlifestyle.com. There's a podcast tab and you can find them there. Uh, so that's what's happening in the campground and the hiking and the lifestyle parts of the RV news this week. But uh, time now to check in with the RV industry news. And the guy who's got his finger on the pulse of Elkhart, the RV capital of the world, is none other than uh, Rick Kessler. He is the executive editor of RV Business and Woodall's Camping Magazine. And uh, Rick joins us now with what's happening in industry news. Hey, thanks, Mike and Jen. Well, let's start off with Camping World, because they're continuing their rather impressive streak of grabbing headlines, with perhaps the biggest news this past week being the grand opening of its new location in Billings, Montana. For those keeping score at home, that's store number 199 for the world's largest RV dealership. In other industry news, FMCA, one of the nation's largest RV owners clubs, is celebrating its 60th anniversary this year. We sat down with FMCA CEO Chris Smith, 
who talked about the club's milestone as well as its 107th International Convention and RV Expo coming up in August in Gillette, Wyoming. You can see that interview with Chris on our website, rvbusiness.com or our YouTube channel. And the last thing I might mention is the RV industry right now is gearing up for its annual Elkhart RV Open House, where at the end of September, thousands, and I mean thousands, of North America's RV dealers will invade Elkhart County to review the thousands of 2024 model year units on display by the manufacturers. Don't forget folks, Elkhart County is home to about 85% of the nation's RV production. While we here at RV Business have busy putting together our annual open house issue, where we preview everything, the manufacturers will be debuting at the open house. We're sworn to secrecy until that issue comes out, but I can tell you what we've learned so far. The OEMs have been listening to feedback from real RVers like you and me. Everything from minor tweaks to major changes to seem, seems like designers and engineers have been busy trying to give us what we've been wanting all along. And that's the latest industry news from RV Business and Woodall's Campground Magazines. Mike and Jen, back to you. Hey, thanks, Rick, very much. We're big fans of Elkhart Dealer Open House. It's, it's, it's always fun. And big party, and you know. What party she's animals, a party yeah. Animal. Right. <laughs> We've been known to stay up until 10 o'clock at night some nights. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> but it is a really... We did a video, didn't we, a couple of years ago? About yeah, this? we did. The entertainment and everything. The entertainment, the parties. and. Uh, but normally it's not that big of a crowd, and it's a really good environment to check everything out. Yeah. For us, it's you know it's kind of fun because we get to see all the 24 models and uh, and, uh, and plus connect with people. In the oh, industry. yeah. And that's, uh, that's a lot of fun. All right. When we come back, we have the RV tip of the week from Brenda, the Queen Bee RV herself. Are you ready to embark on an unforgettable adventure in your RV? Our RV Lifestyle Travel Guide eBooks are your ultimate companions for exploring North America's most breathtaking destinations. They'll help you hit the road with confidence and make the most out of your RVing experience. We're Mike and Jennifer Wendland, and we are passionate explorers and the authors of an entire library of RV Travel Guide eBooks. We have meticulously put together detailed travel maps showing you the best routes, where to stay, what hidden gems to discover along the way. From the majestic Yellowstone National Park to the vibrant colors of Colorado, the awe-inspiring beauty of Utah, the enchanting deserts of Arizona, the tranquil Great Lakes region, the pristine wilderness of the Adirondacks, We've even done a captivating three-part guide to RV travel and camping in Florida. No matter where your wanderlust takes you, we've got you covered. Our curated list of must-see attractions ensures that you won't miss out on any unforgettable experiences. You want to witness the eruption of Old Faithful? We've got you covered. Craving an epic road trip through breathtaking landscapes? We've got the perfect route for you. Dreaming of beachside camping under the stars? We know the best spots. With our eBooks available for instant download at rvlifestyle.com books, you can have the knowledge you need right at your fingertips. Head over to rvlifestyle.com books and start exploring the wonders of North America today. 
unforgettable adventures are waiting. Welcome back. And are you ready now to learn from Brenda, the tip of the week for this week? Yeah, Brenda is of uh, Queen Bee RV. She's a certified RV inspector. She loves to help uh, campers, particularly women campers, understand their RVs. And she's got a great one about uh, how to untangle all those power cord adapters. What goes where? What do you use for this plug? When and how? Brenda's going to sort it all out in detail with this week's tip of the week. During your RV adventure, you undoubtedly will encounter a bunch of different types of outlets, also known as receptacles, when you're plugged into shore power using 120 volts AC. And if the stars all aligned, you're always going to find the perfect outlet to match your rig's needs. However, that's not usually the case, so I want you to have a good understanding of the different power cord adapters, also known as dog bones. So first, let's talk about the reasons why you might need to dog bone. Number one, you might have made reservations at the campground for a 50 amp site, but they only had 30 amp available when you got there. You could get to your pedestal and the breaker is broken on the one that you need and it's after hours and they can't repair. You might be mooch docking at somebody's house and they have 15 or 20 amp outlets, those regular sticks and bricks outlets available. You might be sharing a campsite like we do at some of the women's events and both parties need 30 amp but only one 30 amp receptacle is available. And then sometimes there's restrictions at different campgrounds, national or state parks, and they just don't have what you need. So let's talk about the different configurations of these and the outlets you'll encounter. You will typically see 50 amp, 30 amp, and 20 amp, sometimes one or the other at any of these campground pedestals. And like I said, 15 or 20 amp at the home on those sticks and bricks outlets. These come in a variety of configurations too. This one that I'm holding is a 50 amp male to a 30 amp female. And that's really important to know the difference because, ask me how I know, if you grab one of these thinking you're covered and head down the road, get to your campsite and realize you've got the wrong male and female ends, you're gonna be really sad. So look at all the different configurations and carry a variety of them to match your rig's needs. Let's talk about best practices on using them and plugging in. Plug your power cord into the adapter, breaker off at the pedestal, plug the adapter in, and then breaker on to power your rig. Now some people ask me, can you use an EMS or a surge protector? And I say, yes, it is highly recommended. And here is why. If you are mooch docking at someone's home and they have a situation called reverse polarity, that means that the neutral line has become energized. In the home, they may be none the wiser and everything is operating properly. But in the RV space, this could be very dangerous because if our neutral line becomes energized, there is no thermal protection in our RV electrical panel box on the neutral. So keep that in mind. Now let's talk about watts consumption. U50 amp rigs, you're used to a potential of 12,000 watts to use. And if you're dog boning from a 50 to a 30, you only have 3,600 watts to use. So your air conditioner, for example, needs about 2,400 watts on startup and will settle down around 1,500 watts. Same for your power converter, the water heater element, your microwave, they could all be in that same range. So you may be only able to operate one or two of those at a time. Now, if you're a 30 amp rig and you're dog boning from a 50 amp outlet to a 30 amp, does that mean you get a total of 12,000 watts to consume? And the answer is no, unfortunately. Your power cord is still rated for 30 amp and then also 
Thankfully, you have a 30 amp breaker inside your RV electrical panel to protect you from, in theory, calling for too much. So keep those in mind. Now, when you're mooch docking at somebody's house, those 15 or 20 amp outlets are only gonna provide you with 1800 to 2400 watts. And that may mean you aren't able to run any of those big appliances or maybe just an outlet or one at a time. So I hope that information was helpful. Hey ladies, are you a female RV traveler? Do you wanna know more about your rig in regards to proper operation, safety, troubleshooting and some basic maintenance, head to queenbrv.com and click on events to see the locations of our nationwide women's RV workshop tour. Hope to see you there. Now back to you, Mike and Jen. All right, Brenda, thank you so much. Time now for the app of the week. And the app of the week is always brought to you by our sister blog, newtraveltech.com. And that's a blog that celebrates um, the many ways technology enhances the travel experience. What are we going to do this week? Where are we going to take them? you got to tell me what we're going to do this week. Oh, how about if we give them a guided tour on their phone? Sounds good to me. That's what it really is. is it's an audio tour of uh, like a dozen different uh, national parks or uh, uh, special routes, uh, you know, travel routes or attractions. And it's called Just Ahead. And it's, it's neat. Once you download this app, uh, it uses the GPS that's built into your phone, either an Android or an iPhone, works with both. And it will then uh, give you kind of like a guided tour. We'll look on your left and up ahead is this. And uh, it's, it's all prepared. These guides are by professional um, award-winning travel writers from National Geographic and Outside Magazine and AAA and places like that. Uh, and it, it guides you and it plays automatically, hands-free, and, and lets you drive safely, see more sites, learn about them. And what I particularly like about this app, this Just Ahead app, is that you don't have to have a cell phone connection. Because, you know, some of these parks are pretty remote and they don't have good cell phone coverage. But once you've downloaded the app, they're all there and it works, as I said, with GPS. So... Um, uh, national parks, scenic drives, uh, major attractions. They've got a dozen now. They're adding more. They update them. My one caution is a little pricey. It's $19.95 for each one of these tours, these, these just-ahead tours. Um, that is a bit steep, but, but they're very entertaining. It's informative. It's helpful understanding the country you're traveling through. And uh, it's worth a check. If you want to go to it, just go to their website, justahead.com. And I think they even have a little demo uh, that you can take and see what it looks like. Now, that makes sense to me, that Just Ahead 1995, because it's the area that you're going to. They have 12 of these developed and entertaining. You don't have to buy a book. You don't have to buy whatever. It would be very educational, and you spend that 20 bucks for that very special place that you're going to. Maybe we should do an audio version of our travel guides. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks to NewTravelTech.com for uh, steering us onto this app and uh, check it out yourself. When we come back, it's the RV questions of the week. When we're asked what's the most important modification we made to our RV, it's an easy answer. Battleborne batteries. Battleborne batteries are quality, safe, reliable lithium batteries that allow us to stay out there off the grid longer. Lithium batteries charge faster, they charge fuller, they're longer lasting, they're maintenance free, and battle-borne batteries are protected by a 10-year guarantee. 
Now, in our case, they just dropped into the existing AGM batteries that we have, and they'll probably be the same on your rig too. Battleborn battery experts can get those in your rig just like they did with ours. They can also match you up with the right cabling, the inverter, the charger, the solar controller, everything. Jennifer and I swear by our Battleborn batteries. They allow us to boondock off the grid. Check them out. Go to rvlifestyle.com slash lithium. rvlifestyle.com slash lithium. All right, time now for the RV questions of the week. And right at the start, let's tell you that we love to get your questions or your comments or your tips. You can share them with us uh, through our personal email, which is Mike and Jen at rvlifestyle.com. All right, so what's our question this week? Our question is from Jason and Missy. We just purchased an RV lot in North Carolina. We'll keep our RV there between visits. When you guys leave your fifth wheel at your Tennessee property for a few weeks, do you leave the slides out? How about the AC? Is it okay to let it run at a fairly high temperature for a, uh, for a while so it doesn't get too hot in there? Um, that's a good question. Uh, Jason and Missy, uh, congratulations on getting some RV property. You're going to find it as, uh, as enjoyable as can be because you always have a place to go. But um, there's some controversy on this because some people will tell you you can leave your slides out. I think that's a bad idea. Um, actually, Jennifer was the first one to think it was a bad idea. Yeah, you mind to leave the slides out to make it nice and homey and nice when we came back. You know, it would really feel perfect. But uh, I was concerned about what might happen weather-wise. We did uh, some checking around, and the experts that we, whose opinion we valued the most said, no, no, Jennifer's right, always keep the slides in. And so we bring the slides in, and it just takes a second when you get there to put them back out. But... Uh, we had a, a, a perfect illustration just a couple of months ago of why it's good that we bring the slides in because we had left the, the fifth wheel on our Tennessee property and uh, a pretty bad storm went through. And one of our neighbors let us know that we had a couple of rather small but still pine trees yeah, leaning, you know, this thick around. Yeah, yeah. leaning on our fifth wheel. Now it was like leaning like, like that. So they didn't do any damage to the fifth wheel, um, didn't even scrape anything. But had our slide been out, they would have certainly uh, knocked that out of alignment and it would have been a, a real mess. And so our slides were in, it did not hit the slides and uh, uh, Jennifer was kind enough not to say, told you, <laughs> because uh, she was absolutely right on it. As far as electricity goes, um, I'm a real firm believer that uh, you do not want to have uh, I even unplug electricity in the middle of an electric storm or, you know, if electric storms coming, I'll go unplug it until the storm is gone because lightning can do unbelievable damage. Yes, we have a EMS, we have a electronic management system and we have a, you know, surge protector and we put that between the electrical stuff and the pedestal. But when we're gone for long periods of time, I unplug all that, I stow it away and I do not have anything connecting uh, the RV to the electrical pedestal. Because it could, like lightning could hit a transformer right in front of us or, or the line. Um, and I don't want to take a chance of frying everything inside of it or starting a fire even while we're gone. So that obviously means we don't run AC while we're gone. And that can be problematic because it gets 100 degrees in there, uh, you know, in the summertime. We um, have awning style windows, you know, that open like that so that the rain can't get in. But... We, so we have them, we have a cross ventilation and it kind of bleeds out the worst of the heat. 
Uh, but yes, it still does get warm in there when we're gone in the summer. But we come back in quickly and we turn on the AC and it clears it right all out. Um, so that's how we, we keep it. Uh, the second thing we do, the third thing we do is we have um, friends in the neighborhood who keep a, they let us know if anything doesn't look right. We have a security camera, so we can always check in and look at our RVs to see if anything looks right. And uh, sometimes before, just before we get there, I'll call a friend and I'll give them the combination and everything to get through. And uh, they'll go in and they can uh, hook up the AC and turn on the refrigerator and, and uh, cool it off for us. But we do that just before we get there. So hope that answers. That's how we handle it. And you get other people who will disagree, but hey, Jason, Missy, you ask us, and that's how we do it. So, how about you? You got a question? You got a comment? Uh, share them with us, Mike and Jen at RVLifestyle.com. We love hearing from you. That's it for this week. Thank you guys so much for watching. Happy trails.